Chapter 6 of Pictures of Jewish Home Life Fifty Years Ago. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pictures of Jewish Home Life Fifty Years Ago by Hannah Traeger. Chapter 6 The Sabbath in Palestine. When Mr. Jacob's family and friends assembled again on Friday evening, he said, You know what discussions there have been lately in England about the proper way to keep the Sabbath so it may interest you to hear a letter from my cousin, giving an account how Sabbath was kept in Jerusalem. My dear Milly, I will explain as well as I can what it means to prepare for Sabbath here, and how it is spent. About four o'clock on Friday mornings mother and I get up and prepare the Sabbath loaves. I can tell you it is no easy matter, for even when the weather is not frosty, the exertion of kneading the dough makes you perspire. If you finish kneading early enough, you get back to bed while the dough is rising. Early on Friday mornings beggars start going from house to house, especially the Sephardim and Yemenites or Arabian Jews. At each house they are given small, fresh-baked challah, bun, or bagel. No one refuses to give this. Later on, two respectable men or women go from house to house, collecting in a large bag whatever anyone gives them, such as challahs, meat, cereals, oil, wine, or money. The community know that these things are not for themselves, but are to be distributed amongst the sick and the most needy who cannot beg for themselves. Sometimes we have as many as six or seven people who come collecting, and no one ever thinks of refusing them. In fact, everyone prepares for this, and gives most willingly, knowing that the Sabbath must be celebrated by rich and poor alike with the best one has. In a future letter I will tell you more about certain people who give up a part of their time to works of charity, and how they do it for there is no board of guardians here as there is in London. Then when father and the boys go to synagogue, we start to prepare for the day's work. First we take all the furniture we can out of the house, so as to leave the rooms free for the lower part of the walls to be whitewashed and the marble floors cleaned. Of course we try to use as little water as possible, as it is scarce, but even so the floors must be clean and look well polished, and the wooden furniture washed and rubbed well with sand. Then the tea-urn and all the saucepans and trays, which are either brass or copper, have to be cleaned and brightened, and as we cannot get brass polish here, we rub them with fine sand. It needs plenty of elbow grease to make them look bright, but the rubbing well repays us. Since we came here I quite understand how brass or copper looking-glasses were used by our ancestors, for, after rubbing very hard with fine sand and a piece of lemon peel, you can see your face clearly reflected in the trays. Some who had no mirror used the trays for looking-glasses. Mother prepares our Sabbath meals, whilst we girls are doing the hard work, hanging up our best curtains or putting our best covers on the beds and cushions, and spreading the Sabbath tablecloth. These are put away again on Saturday evenings. Those who have them also use special Sabbath china, glass, and silver for their meals. This work keeps us busy nearly all day. About three hours before sunset, father and the boys go to the public baths, and by the time they return we are all dressed in our best clothes, the samovar, the urn, is placed on a table in the porch, and we all sit there to rest and drink tea, awaiting the coming in of Princess Sabbath. A matter of an hour before Sabbath a voice is heard calling out, Sabbath is in, friends, Sabbath is in. The first time I heard the call I could not understand the reason, until father told me that, as there are no bells in the suburb and very few people have clocks, one of the highly respected members of the community undertakes the job of going right round Mea every Friday, so that the women may know when to light their Sabbath lamps. 
for directly the Sabbath call is heard, all the women stop whatever work they are at and go to light the Sabbath lamp, which has seven wicks, in a basin of oil hanging from the ceiling, for there are no candles here. When this is done, the men and children go to synagogue, and some of the women, too. As they all love bright colors, when you see them from a distance walking to synagogue, the suburb looks like a flower garden. After Sabbath dinner, which consists of the chalent baked on the previous day, Father gathers the boys round the table to hear what lessons they have learnt during the week. He discusses and explains part of the Torah to them, while Mother and we girls read the Zin Yurin, a commentary on the Bible for women, the ethics of the fathers, and the like. This goes on for some time, and then we are free to go and visit our friends. We and several of our friends often go to an old lady's house, where we spend pleasant Sabbath afternoons. Years ago this dear old lady came from Russia to end her days in the Holy Land. She is well provided for by her children, so she has the time and means to lead a happy and useful life here, and does a lot of good quietly, by the cheery, sensible way she often gives a helping hand to those who need it. She so understands all our fun that we sometimes forget she is old. We just talk things over with her as we would with our young friends. Not only we girls, but young married women, just love spending part of the Sabbath afternoons with her. The room is often so full that we have to sit cross-legged like the Turks on the marble floor, which in summertime is quite the coolest seat. We then play nuts. Each one puts a certain number into a cap, but to win the game one has to be very quick and sharp. It is really quite exciting. What we like best is when the old lady sits amongst us and reads us a tale from a book, or some of the papers sent her from abroad. The stories are very tantalizing, for they always leave off at the most interesting part, and then we may have to wait a week or two before we get the next number. During the week we try to imagine what the next chapter will be like. Sometimes she reads from the Ethics of the Fathers, those wise sayings of the ancient rabbis. I remember last week she told us of one of the rabbis who wrote that, "...those who control or overcome their hasty tempers are greater than those who take a city from an enemy." She, as usual, asks us to give our views on what she has read, and an excited discussion follows. Those of us who naturally have a calm, good temper said that they did not agree with the rabbi, because they did not think it at all hard to keep their temper when provoked. Others, who had hasty, passionate tempers, said the rabbi was quite right. It would be far easier, they felt sure, to take a city than to control their tempers, for the whole nation would help them to take a city, as it was considered a grand thing to do, but very few people would help them to control their tempers. In fact, even their relatives and friends provoked them to be hasty and passionate. When provoked or irritated the blood rushes so quickly to the head that it makes it very, very hard to remain calm, and then we often say or do things we are really sorry for afterwards. As we could not agree, we turned to the old lady, for she is full of wisdom and understanding. She tried to pacify us, for we were nearly on the verge of quarrelling. She said that if, when young, we tried with the Almighty's help to keep our hasty tempers under control, it would be easier to do so every time we were provoked, but the older we were before beginning, the more difficult it would be to be successful. Even then we had always to keep a watch over ourselves, for one of our wise sages wrote, one is never sure of himself till the day of his death. We all saw the wisdom of her advice, and made up our minds that we must all help each other, for very often the calm, quiet natures are those who love teasing and provoking the hasty-tempered ones, for the fun of seeing them get into a temper, and this, we realized after her talk with us, was not pleasing to God. After we leave her we take a walk outside the suburb. 
At sunset, when we return home, until the time to go to bed, we are kept very busy washing up all the things used at meals, as no washing up is done during the Sabbath. Then, too, all the Sabbath curtains, coverlets, glass, china, and silver have to be carefully put away. In my next letter I will write you more about our old lady. When Mr. Jacobs had finished the letter, the usual talk started. One said that such a Sabbath might all be very well in Palestine. An elderly friend said, Well, in Palestine they at least know what the Sabbath is, whilst here in London, unless one keeps it strictly and remains indoors all day, except to go to synagogue, one never sees any difference between the Sabbath and any other day of the week. Mr. Jacobs said, I think what you both say is true, and the only way is to try to keep our Sabbath in the spirit as well as in the letter as much as possible. If each of us tried to do this in his own home, even in London, gradually a difference would be seen in the neighborhood in which we live. A wise man wrote, All reforms begin with man and not with men. The first important step is to think good thoughts, for thoughts have wings, and when expressed, they are readily impressed upon the minds of those in sympathy with the thinker. True, very true, exclaimed the others. Let us each, with God's help, strive to remember more often the thoughts of our prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. If thou call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor it, not doing thy wonted ways, nor pursuing thy business, nor speaking thereof, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will make thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. By this the prophet meant that we were to drive all thoughts of business from our minds on the Sabbath. No thoughts of scandal, evil, or uncharitableness were to be harbored, but our minds and hearts were to delight in words of prayer, in the study of the holy law. It was to be truly a day of peace, a day of rest. End of chapter 6